Across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon. Welcome to Flavour with Alan Alder, Sue Bailey and me, Matt Bentman. Our thanks to Ian Dayborn for the last two hours. And today on Flavour, we look at how two local food businesses are successfully fighting back from COVID-19. We speak with a Cambridge company that's bringing exotic fruits like soursops, rambutans and strawberry grapes to the city. Fitzbillies is 100 years old this month and owners Alison Wright and Tim Hayward tell us how it survived a devastating arson attack, bankruptcies and COVID-19. And we catch up with the Little Loaf Bakery from Histon and go October foraging with Steve Thompson, the foraging chef. Acorns and chocolate, anyone? First, how are small independent caterers adapting to COVID-19? Pudini is a well-established catering business based in Willingham, while Liz Young's The Modern Table has set up more recently. I asked them both how they've had to change what they offer. First, Pudini. One of the mainstays of their business was catering for weddings. They also had a deli from which they ran an Italian supper club. The deli is now closed, and weddings are few in number and much smaller. But Pudini is fighting back strongly. I asked owners Lindsay and Alex Harris first about the impact on them of the huge reduction in wedding income. We are really disappointed to not have been able to do weddings this year and we feel so much for our couples that have had to reschedule and reschedule again and adapt their plans suddenly. Uh, We did two for 30 guests in September, um, but originally they had plans for sort of 130, 80, so it was kind of... I don't know how they've had to just scale back all of their plans we yeah. have we have had to make redundancies so it's now just Alex and I <laughs> um, so that's that was really heartbreaking actually the hardest thing we've, we've ever had to to, to, yeah. to deal with as a business so how um, many people had to go so we had so we've got well we've got uh, one full-time chef the rest were part-time staff members we've, we've also got so many lovely casual staff members that come in after you know, normally in the break from university and the holidays and things, and we just haven't had anything to be able to offer them. So essentially losing them as well, because of course they need to find something. Um, that's been really heartbreaking because they've worked with us for years, you know, since they were kind of like 16, 17 years old. Um, yeah. So that's that was really difficult. Um, and what about what about you? Did you worry for your for your own financial security? Yeah, yeah. we still do. Hugely, yeah. Uh, it, so it's ongoing. It's, yeah, right. just... just just down to us um so it it's we only have a, we have a four-year-old and uh, we were able to take a mortgage break personally which have, was a huge relief uh, during yeah. complete lockdown um but yeah on, on the flip side it has given us the chance to kind of reset <clears throat> give us some time to kind of reassess everything and kind of figure out where we're going from here 
Liz Young, originally from New Zealand, trained as a chef in fine dining restaurants in Australia, and then came to Cambridge and went into business here. She left it early last year to set up her new business, The Modern Table. How's COVID affecting her? Yeah, so I mean, I really set it up uh, middle of last year and it was starting to take off. We'd done some events. I had weddings booked for this year, um, other large birthdays, you know, 30ths, hens parties, 50ths, you know, everyone was, as you do as summer approaches, everyone starts celebrating more and more. Um, and then good old COVID hit. I don't know whether I should say good old COVID, <laughs> but COVID hit. And then everything stopped literally overnight um, people cancelled quite a few of my clients were nice enough to say we'll rebook for the following year we can give you more of a deposit if it will help you in the future which I mean they didn't need to say that but they were lovely enough to offer the hand of help but mm. quite a few of them they've got people flying in from overseas so mm. one in particular one partner is Australian and one's British we've got a whole family coming from Australasia um, and so they had to make the decision whether they want them involved or not and of course they do so it would had to be postponed I think I took I took the first initial month to I don't know how what what you would say absorb it all in a sense. I do. I did also then have two children at home. One was at nursery, so nursery closed, and one was at school, so we mm-hmm. had to homeschool until June when he went back. So I had to focus on that. But then on the other hand, I had my whole career sort of taken away from me instantly. So I think we there was a group of us that started to cook for vulnerable families and families that had started to really feel the effects of COVID, um, which gave us purpose, I think. Well, it definitely gave me purpose it, and it gave me something to do. What I knew once or twice a week I was going somewhere to do something and it sort of kept your hand in the game instead of having months of doing nothing. So we had... Kofco was lovely enough to give us a, a huge amount of um, supplies and fresh produce. Um, it was also linked with South Cams, and I, I had a lovely person that I'm currently working with on another project who um, donated a sum of money for us to also get that started. And um, Steak and Honour were lovely enough also to give us premises to cook from. Yeah, it was a nice little group as well, and it, I think it gave us all a bit of camaraderie, if you'd say that, and united us, and And it's good to be around people that are like-minded, and it sort of give you, inspires you to look at options for your actual business and how you can adapt. So they did their burger kits, um, and then I sort of started to think... So now that they've thought or reassessed or refocused what they're doing, what are they doing? Boudini first, then Liz Young again. Well, at the moment we are running an Italian supper club takeaway um, delivery service, uh, which is something that we have been doing for three months. When the diary emptied from the weddings, um, we decided to start something up. So we used to run this Italian street food night from our deli uh, once every month on a Friday evening. And so we we were kind of toying with the idea of what we could do so that we created the Italian Supper Club, so it's actually a delivery service, food delivered hot locally, or you can indeed do sort of a reheat at home option, um, dinner party, classic Italian food, um, the sort of food that Alex used to um, cook at the the Three Horseshoes, um, and uh, it's the food that we really love, 
Uh, and yeah, it's been great. It's been really well received. We've had some fantastic support locally. So that's been really good and actually really enjoyable, something that we ha- wouldn't have had chance to do um, had the wedding diary remained as it was. Um, certainly with this new building that's kind of still a bit, a bit of a bombsite, um, it, we want to host supper clubs, actually be able to host them rather than just deliver them. But we would like to continue with the deliveries. We, yes. We're really enjoying yeah. it. All being well, we're hoping that we can continue with the weddings that have already had to postpone once. We're ho- I, I know some of the uh, the brides and grooms that I've spoken with recently are kind of nervous about the even the April dates mm. um, now. So it may mean a bit more rescheduling, but mm. we just want to make it happen for them. Like we'll do, you know, everything we can to make sure that they do get their day <laughs> eventually. Mm. So that's something we're really looking forward to as well. But I suppose in the meantime, it's you know we quite enjoyed being going through that. Sort of process of thinking about what we could do. T- tell me about your deliveries. Um, you, you deliver hot, so you can't go too far, presumably, otherwise it's no yeah. longer. Yeah. No, we uh, <laughs> hot, hot yeah. No, we do kind of a with. Oh, well, it's it's kind of it's a, a five mile, five, radius, yeah, five maybe. to seven yeah. miles. Willingham, um, Northstow, Longstanton, Over, Swavesey, Barhill, and um, we have done Cottenham and Rampton. That was yeah. kind of a, a tester, and it was it was it. That's about the limit that we would go yeah. for hot. But for if hot, people yeah. wanted to reheat, yeah. then you could go as far as I mean. We've done. Um, we've gone out to um, Saffron Walden, yeah. like for deliveries. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, Central of Cambridge. Yeah. Um, mm. So yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it kind of it, it reheats easily. It's kind of with basic instructions. Um, so if people want to still be able to host their supper club weekend at home we can deliver it um, with you know guidance on how to do it the website is www.padini.co.uk um, we changed the menu fortnightly for the summer right. club um, and it's updated on there uh, we deliver on Thursday, Fridays and Saturdays but with the reheat at home option, we can deliver earlier on in the week. And the menu is, is it as, uh, Italian? Yes, it is, and we keep it as seasonal as possible, yeah. uh, which was one of the things that we got into, which was um, starting to source more local produce, yeah. and it, all about the, the local man, basically, the local like suppliers, producers. And, yeah. So with smaller menus, smaller like quantities... I've been able to source pork, um, especially yeah. bread around here as well. Um, but yeah, an abundance of like um, the vegetables and um, fruit, which is absolutely fantastic and like such good quality as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just about to start a Sunday lunch um, alongside our normal supper club delivery. Um, so that's going to be happening. Launch those in at the end of this month. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, just a fantastic thing to uh, I think to arrive on your doorstep is a hot roast dinner. Like, you, <laughs> yes, it's very to, tempting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what's Liz Young of the Modern Table doing? I sort of started to think about Susanna had asked me from Meadows whether I'd look at doing some ready meals. So it's sort of just initiating those processes and knowing that COVID isn't going to go away this year and possibly for the majority of next year, we've got to look at the way people are dining. So people get sick of cooking for themselves. I get sick of cooking at home for myself and my family. So um, I think that was the only way to go, really, was to provide meals that people would want to eat out but at home. So at Meadows, it's all vegetarian-based. It's not vegan necessarily, but of course it can be adapted if someone really wanted that. We started off small this week, which was two dishes a week, which would feed two people. 
So each yeah. dish was meant to feed two people, so, but there was two options of what you could have. Then this week I've brought in like a starter. We've got a Persian lentil soup with tahini yogurt and beetroot and fried mint. And then we've added a dessert as well. So it sort of means that you can have your complete meal instead of just your mains. Yeah. Well, I had some of your meals, mm-hmm. your t- t- two of your meals uh, last week, and I must say they were absolutely superb, and the flavour was really, really there, you know, and a really good use of herbs as well. Yeah, I love herbs, so you'll probably see them featured <laughs> in every meal, lots of fresh herbs, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... People can get that from Meadows. I'm looking at a few different options to supply other places um, and also build a shop with on my, on my website so people can order directly because that's when I will also introduce some meat-based dishes as well. Hopefully within the next month I will be delivering or using something like Click It, Click yep. it Local or something. Um, meals to reheat at home so everything will be chilled and cold yeah. and there will be reheating instructions. That was Liz Young of The Modern Table. And before then, Lindsay and Alex Harris of Poudini. You can order Modern Table meals from the Meadows website, meadowscambridge.com. And to order from Poudini and to see what they have to offer, go to their website, which is Poudini, that's with two Ds, poudini.co.uk. Both caterers can be contacted via Instagram as well, and I can thoroughly recommend both of them. The modern table meals I had last week were both excellent, and Poudini did the catering for my daughter's wedding a few years ago. It really couldn't have been better, and they couldn't have been more helpful. Calvary's Brewery's new taproom in Hooper Street is now open. There's a booking system in place, so you can reserve a table without disappointment. Booking is via their website. Choose between one to two people or three to six people for seating options or for one or more hours. And you can reserve for the whole evening if you want. It's open from 5 until 10pm on Thursdays and Fridays and 12 noon till 10pm on Saturdays. There are also plenty of beers available for takeout and they also do home delivery. In our last edition, we visited Co-Farm Cambridge. It's a community farm in the city who's pledging all their crops this year to the local food hubs so those who need it most can have fresh, quality vegetables. If you're in need of this service, you'll need to know which hub food hubs are open and when. So just point your internet browser to cambridgesustainablefood.org forward slash cfpa hyphen covid hyphen 19. You'll be taken to a, a handy page that does just that. And if you're listening to our Saturday broadcast, then the Abbey Food Hub at Bonwell Baptist Church on Howard Road is open from now until 2.30pm. If you're gasping for a rambutan, dragon fruit or custard apple, and you can't find any good ones, then you will be delighted by what Cambridge Exotics have to offer. Alan spoke with Paul from the company, rather unwisely, in the bus shelter outside Malloy's Butchers by Cambridge Station. It is a bit noisy there. Paul, can you tell us something about Cambridge and Exotics, you know, what you do and how long you've been going? Sure, we're a, we're a supplier of rare and exotic fruits and uh, this was grown from uh, the director's passion for experiencing uh, new and wonderful fruits when they were away on trips and holidays. Um, coming back to Cambridge, they were unable to get 
the fruits that they'd sampled, um, and even if they were, they were they were substandard, overripe, very poor quality, and there was nowhere in Cambridge, nowhere the supermarkets don't stop. I mean, you might get a guava or a mango, but nothing like fruits that we get and we thought well we can't be the only ones so we started the Instagram page which led to the pop-up at Malloy's in September just the interest from like Cambridge people has been wonderful yeah um, I'm not surprised so what sort of fruits then strawberry grapes uh, sour sops sorry um, <laughs> let's stop at strawberry grapes what are strawberry grapes strawberry grapes Small, smaller variety of grapes um, really really sweet really succulent absolutely amazing taste and, but they're absolutely wonderful absolutely beautiful a bit smaller than your normal size grape what else have you got uh, soursop dragon fruit dra- dra- and dragon fruit now I do know those they're, they're from a cactus aren't they that's right absolutely right yes uh, climbing cactus uh, indigenous to Mexico down Central America and to the South Americas yeah right so what are they like then I don't think I've seen them but I don't think I've ever eaten one they're absolutely amazing they've got like a spiky spiky outer shell hence the, the dragon fruit we call them dragon fruits in the western world in Asia they call them strawberry pears and they taste well a bit like strawberry but like a pear also with a bit of kiwi fruit in there as well gosh they sound rather good they're amazing (laughs) delicious baby pineapples are one of our most popular sellers Uh, they come from Mauritius Right, uh, when you say baby, how, how baby-sized are they? Uh, probably about half, half the size, maybe even a bit smaller to, to a normal pineapple size. But they, they're just a really, really different taste. Much sweeter, really, really juicy, really yeah. sucky. A be- beautiful, beautiful fruit, which is similar to the golden kiwis. So they're, they're like kiwis, they look like kiwis, also from Mauritius. And they, again, just a lot sweeter, a lot juicier. Absolutely gorgeous, absolutely Oh, come on, this is so tempting. <laughs> <laughs> See, salivating there, Alan. <laughs> uh, what else? Rambutans? Do you know uh, Rambutans? Yeah, no, I think I've had them, but I can't remember what they are. What are they? Uh, uh, they, they look like red, hairy sea urchins, tiny, uh, related to the Longans and the, the, the lychee family. Uh, red, ready, ready pink with, like, <laughs> hairs on the outside. I think the ram of Rambutan actually means hair. And they have a white fleshy inner with a big seed in and they're absolutely glorious. Absolutely, you can eat those like sweets as well. <laughs> so we said rambutan, mangosteens, star fruit, which are the really pretty star shaped ones. Yes, well, this all sounds absolutely fantastic, Paul. So, wonderful. where can people get these from? You can look at us online. We have, we've got a website coming up, but um, at the moment we're on Instagram, which is instagram.com forward slash Cambridge underscore exotics. So, we've had a pop up outside Roy's Butcher's at the railway station and had our first one in September which went down really really well and we've got another one on Saturday the 17th of October 10 o'clock outside Monroe's Butchers right and is that all day or from 10 o'clock until until we go I'm hoping to be there until about 4 o'clock sure and what about uh, people who, uh, when you're not having pop-ups how do people get them there? Uh, just message us on message us on Instagram at the moment what and you get a box do uh, you can place your order there yeah you can have a variety box the variety box is really popular because lots of people don't know what the fruits are um, really nice story a lady um, with tall children bought a variety box took it home and the kids were absolutely fascinated by it Said, she said she had such a fun experience cutting up the fruit and getting them to try it yeah. and um, you know what a wonderful thing to get to encourage the children to eat healthily and also to be adventurous in their eating not to be frightened of food which a lot of there people are absolutely yeah. right absolutely yeah. right yeah. some of these things do look scary and the date of Cambridge Exotics next pop-up is the 17th of October next Saturday and it will be outside Malloy's in Station Place by Cambridge Railway Station 
You can order boxes of fruit via the Cambridge Exotics Instagram page. And if there's anything you want, but they haven't, they ask you to get in touch so they can find some for you. The Devonshire Arms on Mill Road is celebrating Oktoberfest. You can get jumbo bratwurst and rosemary fries for £10 and Bavarian Halles lager is £4.60 a pint. Now that the temperature has dropped and we're heading towards Christmas, the Cambridge Wine Merchants is selling its homemade mulled wine again. Made to a secret recipe, it's available at the Bridge Street and King's Parade branches. It's £5 in their bars and £4 to take away. Now let's see what free food there's been in the Cambridge area recently. Some examples of what's been recently available from the free-to-download Olio app includes black pudding, vanilla powder, and from Pret-a-Manger, wraps, toasties, sandwiches and baguettes, all of them free. And there is another free app called Too Good To Go, which makes excess food from restaurants and shops available to people. Unsold food at the end of each day can be over 50% off. And rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready to be saved rather than binned. Users can browse venues based on name, time and location. Too Good To Go has apparently saved over 47 million meals since it launched in 2016. As we all know, COVID-19 has had a devastating effect on pubs, cafes, restaurants and caterers. But it's also been a spur for some people to start up new enterprises. Amongst them is Mandy Nye, whose Little Loaf Bakery is based in Histon. Mandy explained why she set it up. Well, it was over lockdown and I didn't really have anything else to do apart from look for jobs. So I decided to do what I enjoy best and do some baking. You are particularly keen on developing gluten-free cakes and biscuits. Tell me how this came about. It was actually through my partner James's sister. She orders quite a lot of gluten-free stuff online because she um, prefers it to the stuff that you can get in the shops. And I thought it would be a good market to go into. And I looked at what cakes were available in the shops for people who are gluten-free. And I decided that there's more room to bake some more stuff like Battenbergs, etc. Because I gather Battenberg cake is something that you do particularly well. Yes, it's been quite popular recently. I've had about eight orders this week. I think after the Great British Bake Off episode on Battenbergs, it kind of set it off. Is this from people who've got celiac disease or they just don't like gluten, do you think? I think it's a bit of both. I think it's also, I offer gluten-free, dairy-free, so it's also people who are maybe lactose intolerant as well. And it's not just Battenbergs you make, though, is it? What other types of things? As from my name, The Little Loaf Bakery, I do all sorts of loaf cakes. I also do cookies and personalised birthday cakes, if requested. And how do people get to know about what you're doing? Do you do Instagram or Twitter or something like that? Yep, so um, I focus on Instagram so people can see my bakes and see what I've been up to and what I'm baking at the moment. Um, I've just actually started doing Halloween boxes with little mini Halloween loaves so you can get a ghost or a little chocolate monster or something like that. That sounds really fun. Again, this is going to be gluten-free, is it? Yes. So there's no one doing anything really of quite of this nature out there, is there? No, I, I don't think so. I haven't seen anything myself. I mean, there's um, a few other Instagram bakers who are kind of following the same trend, so it'd be really interesting to see where it goes. Mm. And 
At the moment, you're doing this in a domestic kitchen, aren't you? Yes, not a lot of surfaces. Because I obviously do gluten-free stuff and people with allergies, I have to make sure the kitchen space and the surface space is separate and clean. That's quite a challenge. (laughs) And did you have to do a lot of reading up yourself on gluten, cooking with gluten-free? I did, because without the gluten, it makes stuff more not bind together so well. You have to use stuff like xanthan gum to help that binding process. And what type of flours do you use? You obviously can't use wheat flour. No, I mainly use the stuff you can buy from the shops, the gluten-free flour, but um, I've also used a lot of rice flour as well. What would you say at the moment is your best seller? Definitely the Battenberg. By far, it's the most popular. I'm hoping to get a boost on the Halloween loaves over the next few weeks, so we'll see how that goes. And what have you got planned for Christmas? I'm not sure yet. I'm going to have to think about it a bit, but definitely a Christmas box and some gingerbread men and some chocolate truffles and all the goodies that you like for Christmas. That was Mandy Nye from the Little Loaf Bakery. And we'll be back in a couple of minutes with the Fitzbilly story and the foraging chef. Cambridge 105 Radio. In 1960s Cambridge, you might have shopped at Joshua Taylor, gone roller skating at the Corn Exchange and seen the Beatles perform live at the Regal Cinema. On Sunday mornings, John Gannon takes you back in time with hits and memories from the swinging decade. John Gannon's 60s scene, Sundays at 8am on the station that's live and local. Cambridge 105 Radio. Looking to buy a new home this summer but it feels out of reach? Then getting on the property ladder just isn't an option for you. Think again. New homes in Haverhill and Cottenham are available now with shared ownership with your mortgage deposit as low as from £4,000. The final two and three bedroom homes at Bower Place and Boyton Place also have exclusive incentive packages available worth over £2,500. With £1,000 shopping vouchers, £500 towards your solicitor's fees and three months rent free, book your viewing today to find out what's on offer. Reserve from just £99 and find your new home this summer. Think shared ownership, think complete moves. Visit complete-moves.co.uk or call 020-3640-7111 today. Terms and conditions apply. Need dropping off at work? Miss the bus and must make that urgent appointment? Need picking up after a night out with your mates? Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based taxi firm with over 700 drivers, offering great rates and local knowledge, ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times, and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card. Book your taxi the easy way. Download our free Panther Taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go. Call Cambridge 715-715 or see panthertaxis.co.uk. Panther Taxis, your local quick, reliable and friendly taxi company in the city. Cambridge 105 Radio This month, Fitzbilly's of Trumpington Street and Bridge Street in Cambridge is celebrating its 100th anniversary. A lot has happened to it in those 100 years, as owners Alison Wright and Tim Hayward told me. So, here is a history of Fitzbillies in ten parts. Fitzbillies, part one. The start. World War One ends. Fitzbillies emerged out of the First World War. It opened immediately after the Spanish flu pandemic in 1919 and 1920. 
It was started by Ernest and Arthur Mason, who came back from the First World War and used their demob money to set up the shop. We know it opened on the 4th of October 1920 because we have the ad that ran in the Cambridge News um, two days before. So I think just as now they were preparing for the start of term and were probably desperate to have their new beautiful shop open in time for the undergraduates to come back. The shop front, which is unique, it's not just Art Nouveau, it's particularly Belgian Art Nouveau. An art historian will tell you, it's very, very <laughs> weird. And these guys would have been stationed in Belgium. So when they came back, probably their idea of what a glorious cake shop looked like may have come from someplace bombed to hell, somewhere near the Ardennes or something. I don't know, but I love the idea of that, that weird connection. It's almost as if it goes back before the 1920s, and the idea is gelling in their head while they're still out there in the in the trenches. One of the things we cover in the book, which is a really quite intriguing sort of route to this resurgence of British bakery, people forget that at the beginning of the First World War there were riots right the way across the country where people were chucking rocks through the windows of bakeries, particularly because they were largely owned by German and Austrian families. And within six months... Uh, after the Lusitania was sunk. The, there, were, there were none of them in the UK at all. They'd all been <laughs> sent home, quite literally thrown out of the country. And, and they were the, the, because it was such a peculiarly Austrian and German business, having a bakery in, 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 in the town, there was an enormous lack of bakeries at the end of the war that was filled by young people coming back. Part two, World War Two and rationing. Yes, I think um, rationing was a very difficult time for all food businesses, all bakery businesses. There were special arrangements made so that bakers could have a supply of flour, sugar, essential ingredients. And I think all the local bakers made arrangements to swap ingredients between them. And if someone had a lot of flour, they would trade it for a a lot of sugar. Um, So they did manage to keep going and they managed to continue making the Chelsea buns, albeit in limited numbers, throughout the war and throughout rationing. Um, They could only make the Chelsea buns in limited numbers, so getting your hands on them was a great thing. So you had to be a regular customer to do that. So um, the way that you proved you were a regular customer is you took in your bag from your previous Chelsea bun. So when one undergraduate went down at the end of the summer term, they were expected to leave their Fitzbilly's bag in their room for the new undergraduate who would arrive in October, because if you didn't have the bag, you couldn't get the bun. One of our older employees a while back, was he told really interesting stories about going through, about through the war. Stuff, sacks of sugar coming in through the back door and sacks of flour going back out. It was really quite an active, not a black market, but a trading system within the frameworks of shortage and ration. One particular bakery that they traded um, with, there was a family called uh, The Days who had a bakery in Willingham and um, actually Mr Day came to trade with the Mason brothers and he brought his young teenage son Garth Day with him who said to his dad on the way home, if that bakery ever comes up for sale I'd like that bakery and in the 1950s when the Masons were ready to sell the business they called him up and the second owner of Fitzbilly's was Garth Day and then the second owners the Days also very successful owned it into the early 80s so there were a couple of sort of 30 year stints during a period where I think bakeries were extremely successful they had much less competition from supermarkets fast food part three the growth of Fitzbilly's 
Um, the third owners in the 1980s, a young couple called Clive and Julia Pledger, I think in true 1980s style, they had quite expansionist ideas and no doubt the business in Trumpington Street was successful. So yes, they opened a sort of concession in Eden Lilies, but also a shop on Regent Street. Uh, they had it designed to look exactly like the one on Trumpington Street and we worked out the other day which shop it was. So it, it, it's now a, 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 a secretarial agency, a job agency. Um, it's, it's, it's the rank of shops underneath accommodation blocks for Downing College. I think it must have been an expensive refix and it looked exactly like the Trumpington yeah. Street one. Yeah. Is that in, what in, it... Including the internal fitting, so I mean, it was really quite spectacular. Part four receivership they probably did overreach themselves i think um unfortunately they also uh, got divorced so and i don't know whether it was the business who drove them to that uh, the only real evidence we have on this is is there were some reports in the local papers that certainly did speculate on that at that time that was the first bankruptcy and the business at that point a lady called penny thompson who had been their manager um took over the business part five destroyed by fire. She ran it for a lot of years, including getting through the really terrible fire, which must have been an absolute nightmare for anybody. That yeah. was 1998. It was just between Christmas and New Year. Someone who had a, a grudge against the business broke in and were they were later, I believe, found guilty of arson. But the building was completely devastated. The old bakery with the chimney that went right into the middle of the block was totally burnt down. Pembroke, who owned the building, rebuilt it um, in a really interesting way. But effectively, the place was gutted so badly that the front was falling off. The, the, the Fitzbillies at that time had a dining room upstairs, and they've actually rebuilt it horizontally through. So we then had the space on the ground floor taking over the, 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 the Penguin bookshop next door, uh, and they then have the co college accommodation running horizontally across all of the buildings and underneath. So you go downstairs. We have a little basement, but either side of our little basement is a student kitchen and a student, a, a student uh, laundry for the buildings up above. It's like a rabbit warren. Um, when Fitzbillies was closed, they did manage to keep on baking, so Balzano's, the bakery in Cherry Hinton Road, um, allowed the Fitzbillies bakers to bake in their premises later in the day, sort of in the morning when they'd finished making their bread so that the Chelsea buns could still be made and Pembroke College um, gave or lent Fitzbillies the premises on the corner that was um, Heifer's Paperback Bookshop and is now our coffee shop to sell the Chelsea buns from because it took almost two years to rebuild the premises. It kept going through the, the first decade of the 2000s but I think... After 2008, I think the commercial environment probably did get more challenging. Part 7. Competition. I think yeah. different eating habits, more competition, That's... you know, Starbucks, Costa, commercial bakeries, supermarket bakeries, four donuts for a pound. In Cambridge at that time, there was still an element of if you didn't want to eat in halls you went to a bakery or a butcher's for a pie or to a, you know, to a food shop in that sense. And then pretty much the changeover to ready meals and supermarkets and the commercial coffee shop, the, 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 the big chain coffee shops, really altered the way the students ate. Part 8, Expansion. When we took it over, it was still doing tea and cake. 
in the way that it had done tea and cake pretty much since the brothers came back from the First World War. And I think Al's big perception about it was, we will always do tea and cake. But, for example, there's this thing called coffee now that people quite like, so we probably need to do that. And, by the way, we ought to be doing sort of wedding cakes. And, and, and tea and cake has kind of petered down a little bit, and we need to be able to balance those things out. Originally, it was very much a retail bakery. It was a bakery shop. Mm. And racks and racks of cakes, particularly, and some bread, went out to the college to the colleges before the shop had even opened in the morning and then the business was queues of people for sausage rolls chelsea buns etc to take away but the whole area that's our cafe now was storerooms staff changing rooms etc and really it was just that little area at the front that was the shop and the corner which was the the sort of cafe tea room um so I think um, using the space much better is one of the things that has, has really changed yeah. it as well. We knew that serving really, really good bacon rolls was going to be very important. <laughs> so we wanted oh, to find, and, and we knew there wasn't room to make our own bread. And we found a local baker, Alan Ackroyd, at Cobb's Bakery, and he made just the most wonderful sort of English white baps. And we asked him to make them a special oval shape because obviously bacon rashers are long. They fit much better in an oval bap. So he made those for us for... Uh, how long was it? Seven years. But we actually just we, we we went to see him before we opened because we knew we were going to need this. You know, the bacon roll was going to be so key. And it turns out that he'd actually worked at Fitzbillies as a, as a young baker. He learned his trade in the kitchens of Fitzbillies when they were making bread there. I think it's one of the things where we do absolutely the best after the Chelsea bun. That blasted bacon roll is going to be <laughs> it's just so so good. In 2018, when unfortunately Alan wasn't very well and he. Uh, was planning to close the business really to step back I guess we really didn't want to be without our bacon rolls so we we bought Cobbs and we were able to move the Cobbs bread bakers and our cake bakers who were desperately overcrowded in the back of Trumpington Street together into a new modern uh, purpose-built little bakery Mm. and it's meant that as well as the Chelsea buns and cakes we can make our own sourdough bread traditional English bread and of course we get through so much bread for our own cafe we sell it in our shop but we also supply it to all sorts of other shops basically we're able to put in new equipment it's a lovely big open space with windows and ventilation and things like that Mm. so that's 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 I think something to be proud of Part 9, COVID-19. During lockdown, um, it was the the bakery that kept going. We kept going with a sort of skeleton crew of bread bakers because, of course, people need bread, whatever's going on. And we kept supplying corner shops, farm shops, and also the food delivery boxes, Cambridge Organic Food Company's boxes and um, Kale and Damson. When we first took Cobbs over, it 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 was a very, very functional and excellent commercial small commercial bakery Uh, but we didn't have a great deal of sourdough going on Um, and at this point um, Al met uh, Paul who's uh, became our head bread baker but now we're producing some really quite amazingly good day-to-day domestic sourdoughs we've got four ingredients in the place that's it Mm. you know it is water and and salt 
and flour. Uh, occasionally yeast if it's a yeasted loaf, but most of the time not even that because it's coming off a sour- it's, it's coming off a sourdough mother. But that is also supplying the pizza bases for Scots all day over in Mill Road, which is another operation we're sort of partially involved in. We were able to reopen in June for takeaway only, and I think as soon as we were we reopened customers were so grateful to to see us open again to be able to get their coffee to be able to get a cake or a chelsea bun we didn't open for table service the very first second we could we wanted to sort of see how it would work for other restaurants and and that sort of thing we've done chelsea buns by post for a lot of years now but of course um during lockdown when people couldn't see their friends and loved ones fortunately a lot of them thought that sending them a box of Chelsea buns would be a very nice thing to do or no doubt people just sort of wanting their own little little bun fix and that bit of the business has really really grown and we're offering um, Chelsea bun subscriptions where you get a box of Chelsea buns every month for a year and that business part of the business has grown i would say tenfold or rather against our better judgment we've become dot-com entrepreneurs i don't think we ever (laughs) intended that to happen part 10 the birthday celebrations we decided for the 100th anniversary we wanted some cakes that were really sort of luxurious and golden so we've got um (laughs) sticky toffee cupcakes with salt caramel icing with um, little gold hundred plaques on them and those are flying out actually we can barely make enough of them they are actually so delicious oh. I, I think they might stay on the menu forever I really hope so because they're too damn good not to yeah. they're, they're properly addictive oh there's a steak a beef steak pie we've uh, we've, we've been doing this this is probably just for the, the, the over the centenary but um, I'm, a, I'm a great sort of pieaholic um, and we finally persuaded the chefs to put uh, th- their effort into making a really glorious pie which well we they... went back to the 1938 menu and there was a beef steak pie and we thought that's the one we're going to make for the centenary and I humped in from our storage unit the uh, original pie making machine we have a mm. Victorian pie press uh, which uh, which basically sort of pushes it out into a tin foil tray and uh, makes the most beautiful pie I mean, the other things that we're, we're doing this month and we've been doing over the birthday is collecting people's memories of Fitzbillies. Um, and we have had just the most wonderful emails and in some cases letters, really beautiful handwritten letters, in some cases from very old people um, remembering how they first came to Fitzbillies in the 1930s and 40s in, in some cases. Yeah, when you actually have the object in front of you, handwritten, and you can see the amount of effort they've had to put into mm. sort of to writing with shaky old hands, and, they, and they're telling wonderful, wonderful stories. And it's lovely to have those sort of memories in the in the DNA of the place. And it's over the years, people yeah. who came on their way to school, then when they worked in businesses in the town, um, and then they've had their wedding cake from Fitzbillies, and then they've bought their grandchildren. So it's it's really lovely. An extraordinary achievement. That was Alison Wright and Tim Hayward on Fitzbillies, The First Hundred Years. Their book about Fitzbillies is on sale at the shop, and it's in local bookshops too, and it features much of the history and some interesting old photos. Will Flavour be reporting on its 200th birthday, I wonder? Dolcedo is now open in Eddington, selling a wide range of patisserie and sardo breads. They're at 4 Eddington Square and are open every day of the week from 7.30am Monday to Saturday and from 9am on Sunday. The Cambridge Wine Merchants is hosting an online whisky tasting event. 
Glen Farkless is a Scottish distillery founded in 1836, producing Highlands single malt whiskey in oak sherry casks. Now, the tasting will be hosted by George Grant. He's a sixth generation of the family behind the Glen Farkless whiskey. The idea is that you receive a tasting kit to your door containing five of their whiskies, ranging from 10 to 25 years old. Then you go online and George will do the rest. Now, there's only 30 tickets available for this, and even though the event isn't until the 20th of November, tickets will go fast, so it's best to hurry. And to do that, you email kings at cambridgewine.com for tickets, which are priced at £25 per person. You can also find out more via the website cambridgewine.com. Interesting question. Is there still wild food available in October? I spoke with Steve Thompson, the foraging chef and the head chef at the Plough and Shepreth, on what's around at the moment and what to do with it. There's lots of lovely things at the moment. It's a really bountiful month for picking. We've got some wonderful greens coming back into play again, especially with all this rain at the moment. So first of all, we'll uh, go over what you can find there. We've got some lovely chickweed that's coming out, Stellaria media. Really nice, easy plant to uh, identify. And it's a wonderful, nice, fresh green to get at this time of year. Cleavers are coming back as well. When they're coming back, they're just shooting through and they're sort of like an inch high everywhere at the moment. And that's the perfect time to have them in salads and raw. They're absolutely gorgeous like this. So yeah, we're picking lots of them as well. And the uh, other one at the moment that I've just noticed coming up when I went for a walk this morning was uh, Jack by the Hedge. So Aliara petiolata. And that's other name for that is uh, garlic mustard leaf. And that's one we pick a lot throughout the year, but that's really coming up nicely now, just starting to shoot up. It's a really good time to pick it again, so you can make yourself a nice autumnal salad at the moment. A nice alternative, like, light lunch kind of thing. Another thing we've been spotting a lot on our walks at the moment is fruits. So things like crab apples, apples and pears. And it's a great time for that. Really nice and easy. Your apples, if you're really unsure whether you're an apple or not, cut it in half across ways. Have a look for that star shape around the seeds. It's a dead giveaway. I mean, that really only applies for little tiny crab apples. There's so many different varieties of crab apples. Basically, if they're smaller, they're a crab apple. If they're larger, they're an apple. In hedgerows at the moment, the only thing I suppose that you could possibly consider confusing an apple for is spindle, which is the little pink berries that have the kind of four little four little indentations into them, but they're quite different to an they're apple looking, different. really, yeah. You'd be amazed at what people can confuse. <laughs> but some of the crab apples at the moment, there's some growing in our village that we've been picking this week, and they are so juicy at the moment. It's absolutely wonderful, so we've been living off a lot of them. And jams and jellies are great ways to preserve. So it's kind of your time of year to really stock up on your jams and stuff like that this time of year. With you. The other thing we'll talk about first, before we move on to the main event, is uh, honey fungus, which we're just about to go out to go pick tonight. Um, it's a wonderful mushroom to pick, and you can really pick it in a large quantity. It's a parasitic fungus that attacks tree roots, causes them to die. So you do mainly find them around the base of trees and wood and things like that, but you can also find them in grassland because they spread looking for another tree. I think they're a fairly easy mushroom to identify. The only, there's two that you really want to kind of familiarise yourself with first, which is the sulphur tufts and the funeral bell, both of which are poisonous. But honey fungus, I mean, go on a website, something like Wild Food UK and stuff. It's quite simple. It's quite straightforward it gives you a really easy identification and actually once you get to know them they're really simple and they're a really really good mushroom really underrated in my opinion do the other two that you mentioned look at all like them or not (laughs) they do and they don't so to a completely untrained eye yeah they probably do look similar-ish once you start getting into how you identify mushrooms 
then I don't think they look anything alike at all. But it depends on your level of attention to detail and how, how experienced you are with it. And really, when you're first going out mushroom picking, you want to go out with people that know what they're doing anyway. So, and then you build up that. And then once you've built up to a certain level of attention to detail, that's when you can go out and you can find mushrooms. You have no idea what they are and identify them yourself. Yes and no, then, how similar the other ones look. I, I think it's quite an... It's early intermediate, so it's just above beginner level mushroom, I would say, to pick. But at this time of the year, you can literally get bin bags full. When they're young and they're small, they're up there with things like your seps and your chanterelles, I think, in choice edible mushrooms. When they get a bit bigger, they get a little bit less, but now is perfect after we've had all this rain. And how would you preserve them? Sorry, it's worth mentioning they have to be cooked. So they must be cooked, and they must be cooked well. So at the moment, we're just doing a lot of cooking, bagging and freezing, which is a really simple way to keep them. If you want them stored and to have in that way, that's the best way to do it. Other ways you can do it is you can ferment them, which is a good way of keeping them. But with mushrooms, fermentation is a lot harder because of the natural sugars in them aren't that high. So I do tend to add some sugar. They've still got to be cooked again at the end of that. But you can get a lovely that lactic taste into flavour into them, which is great. Mushroom jams are a good shout as well. So depending on what you pair it with and what you do, they can be a really nice flavour. And ketchups is obviously the classic thing yes. with mushrooms. And they do make a good ketchup as well. But yeah, so at the moment, most of the time, we are literally just chopping them up, sweating them down, bagging them and freezing them. And the main thing that we have been collecting this week, which has, if anyone's done it before, has been the absolute bane of my life this week, <laughs> is acorns. We'll talk about acorns because everyone knows about your hazelnuts, your walnuts, your sweet chestnuts, which are the main real uh, ones around at the moment. The amount of people that don't know that acorns are really good edible is uh, quite high. First of all, it's worth mentioning they need to be processed properly to be edible. So they are full of really bitter tannins. People can make ink out of them and things like that. That's where it comes from, those tannins. So you need to leach them. So the first way to do that, there is cold leaching, where you shell the acorns, you take the inside nut... You put them in a bag, like a muslin bag or something like that, and then you let water run over them. This takes a long, long time. So originally this would have been done in like fast-running streams and things like that. I've heard of people doing it in their cisterns in the top of their toilet. That's that's not for me, plus I'm in a rental accommodation, so I don't think I'll be (laughs) too popular with that one. Um, Or you can leave the tap just dripping on them and stuff, but it feels like a lot of water waste to do that. So I tend to go more for warm leaching or hot leaching, which again is still a lot of water, but it is less than doing it cold. So what I tend to do is, to shell them first of all, the easiest thing to do is to put them in a pan of water, bring them up to the boil, and then turn it down and leave it to simmer for like five minutes. Then take a few out at a time, and you'll find that the shell will just start to split. If it hasn't, just get a teaspoon, just gently lean on the back of it, and it'll pop open. If you get lucky, they all come out really, really easily, and they just pop out in one. If you don't get lucky like I didn't this week, then you scrape them out with a teaspoon. There are other ways. People say you can dehydrate them and things like that. I mean, by the time you've messed around with that, you might as well just do it with a teaspoon. So to leach them, take the inside nut. I smash it up a bit, but don't grind it fine. I then wrap it in muslin to form a kind of like a parcel. And then we put those parcels into into a pan of water. Then we bring it up to boil. Boil it for about 15 minutes. You'll see the water go jet black. Pour it off. I then rinse the muslin bags under the cold tap while I'm filling up the pan again and just keep repeating and you repeat that over and over again until the water is clear. Then you know that all the tannins are washed out. That takes, I mean, I've done it sometimes in eight or nine goes. And then this year it took me 25 goes. So it's been a bit of a bane of my life. It was a whole day at work spent doing about mm. five or six kilos of acorns. So it's not very productive, to be entirely honest. But they are really nice. I don't know 
how other people feel when they do it it's worth giving it a try but I get this wonderful butterscotch aroma and I think it works really well and the way we're going to be using them is with chocolate in a dessert and I just think that the acorn and chocolate dark chocolate pairing is just it's the one and it's really worth doing so it'll be worth looking out on that in menus coming up yeah acorns and chocolate is the one for me that sounds really unusual people also used to roast acorns for coffee didn't they yep that is another way of using it basically once you've leached it out then what I'm doing with it at the moment is drying it out for flour. So once I've leached it, I'm then putting it in the dehydrator, then I will go back in and grind it all up into a powder. But you can equally roast it all off and turn it into coffee. Yeah, that's another, I would say, great way. But to be honest, I don't think it's got a very good rep, to be honest. Acorn coffee, I've never liked it. I think it was drunk a lot in the trenches, I believe, in the First World War, and I don't think it had a very good reputation from that either. So have you got quite a lot of foraging dishes coming up on your menu at the moment? Yeah, we always we always have forest ingredients and we pair it with normal ingredients as well, kind of make it accessible to people. So some dishes are more and less, and then as we evolve in the site, then we'll be doing other things that we'll announce in the future that will be then really heavily forest and things like that. So our menu is pretty heavily forest as it is now, and a lot of the vegetables, probably 70 or 80% of the vegetables we use aren't foraged, are grown by us or by people in their local allotments and things like that. We use them to kind of accompany the forage foods. The forage, I would say, is the main singing ingredients, but then the other things used to accompany it at the moment. Anything else at the moment? I noticed some rowan berries, uh, your little son's namesake, growing very happily. Yeah, there are still rowan berries going around at the moment. Yeah, they're good to use. They're best used with the apples, so combine them that and make jellies. Rowan on their own are quite be a little bit wee in flavour, to be entirely honest, is probably the best way of describing them. So I don't particularly enjoy them on their own, but they are still well used with things like apples and pears and stuff like that. Um, I suppose another berry like that at the moment that's still around is the Gelder Rose. That's one that makes really nice syrups. I really, really like the flavour of it. Just use someone else's kitchen to cook it. It really does not smell very good. Kind of like sweaty feet when you're cooking it. Ooh, that's nice. It's horrible, but that flavour doesn't come through in it. It's, a, it's really sharp, quite dry and bitter, but it works really nicely, I think, in syrups and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there have been dishes on my Instagram and things like that where we've used it before in the past. So it's, it's a really good berry. Those are really the main things this month, and it actually sounds quite bountiful. It is bountiful because you've still got the things that we've talked about the last couple of months going. So you've got all the sloes and rowans and hawthorns. And you've got so many more mushrooms than just the honey fungus around at the moment. Last time I went out was just before the weekend and there was literally nothing still, but we've had all this rain now. So going out in a minute, I think there'll be a lot. So it's, it's one of the most bountiful times of the year. So it's real stock up time when people are stocked up in the past to keep food, preserve it for the winter months where things get a little bit leaner. Oh, well, I hope you have a lovely foraging afternoon. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. Some marvellous ideas for adventurous eating there. Thanks to Steve from The Plough in Shepworth there's green onions signaling the start of our job section the monkey puzzle day nursery on regent street which overlooks parker's peace is looking for a full-time nursery cook you must understand the dietary needs of children be aware of allergies and possess a current Level 2 certificate in food hygiene. The salary is £8.50 to £10.50 per hour. The Mitre Pub on Bridge Street is also looking for a chef. It's full-time, £10 an hour, pension, up to 28 days holiday, and discounts or free food. The Petersfield Pub on Hooper Street is looking for a chef de partie. It's £9.50 an hour, along with tips and employee discounts, 
At the Petersfield is part of the City Pub Company Group, so the discount applies to all of their outlets, and there's also plenty of opportunity for in-house training. You can apply for this position via the City Pub's website. Parker's Tavern on Regent Street is looking for a head waiter and a bartender. As a head waiter, you'll need to be available mornings, evenings and weekends, but not all of them. There will be a healthy work-life balance and any overtime hours will be paid. Training courses and apprenticeships will also be available and pay is £11 an hour plus gratuities. Uh, The bartender position comes with a chance to apply for the International Bartending School, which gives further development opportunities. There are also staff discounts. Both of these positions need you to upload your CV and you can apply via the website caterer.com. And that is all the time we have for today. Don't forget, we are here on Alternate Saturdays at 1pm, repeated on Sundays at 2, and then again on Mondays at 6pm. And there's also a podcast which will be available early in the coming week. Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today is the Cambridgeshire Football Show, but that's all from us. We'll be back on the 24th of October, but until then, goodbye. 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 Goodbye.